this new router is where I've, I've tried to rewrite the routing experience from the ground up with types involved. And so that means that uh, everything from route definitions, uh, even the nested definitions stuff is all type safe. And the resulting types or the resulting routing structure that you get, it has, it's fully typed. And then all of the APIs for consuming that routing structure um, need to be fully typed as well. Lots of different challenges in each of those different layers. Hey, before we get started, we'd like to announce we have a few new ways that you can subscribe to the podcast. With your subscription, you'll have access to all the full-length versions of our interviews. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. With that, let's get on to the episode. Hello, welcome to the DevTools FM podcast. This is a podcast about developer tools and the people who make them. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Justin. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're really, really excited today to have Tanner Lindsley joining us. Uh, if you have heard of Tanstack, React Query, uh, many other things that Tanner's been working on. Um, Tanner, such a, such a pleasure. Uh, really excited to talk to you. I use your software every day. Uh, so Sweet. it's great, great to have you. Um, but before we dive into the topics, would you like to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure thing. Um, let's see, I've been doing front-end development exclusively for about 10 years now. Um, programming for about 15. Got my start in WordPress and PHP. And then uh, eventually got roped into open source big time. So over the years, really been pouring more and more time into open source trying to open source as much as I can and tackling the more difficult problems as time goes on. About eight, nine years ago, I started a company with some friends called Nozzle that is, um, it, it's a search analytics for like marketers and SEO people. But in a nutshell, we basically reverse engineer Google's search rankings. Uh, like everything that comes up on that search page, we just like pull it out, stick it into a database. So we're just creating tons of data every day um, and then trying to visualize it. So uh, building a SaaS product around that, you can kind of start to see why some of my open source libraries kind of popped into existence. Tables, charts, querying, uh, and now a, a router. So yeah, there, there's lots of fun challenges that came up from that and uh, it just keeps sucking me in further. So <laughs> got a healthy startup and a lot of healthy open source tools and things are going great. Yeah, it's, it's really cool how, like, as you built out Nozzle, you open source, like, seemingly every single part of the the front-end build pipeline and libraries. Uh, so uh, typically that's a lot more work than not doing that. So why, why did you approach it in that way instead of just building out Nozzle with only internal stuff? So we've been really lean from the beginning. Um, in fact, the most employees we've ever had on the front-end team, including myself, is two. So. Wow. <clears throat> um, for better or worse, I've, I've taken on a lot of responsibility and worn a lot of hats. And I have found that one of the only reasons I've been able to keep up with the demand on the product is because I've taken the most crucial, you know, performance driven parts of our application, you know, the critical pieces and pushed them out to the edge of the community. So all of our querying, all of our tables, you know, as much as I can, I push out into 
this open source layer. And in a way, I kind of have a bunch of people working for Nozzle, um, finding the bugs, making it better, and uh, just overall helping me have really stable tools at the core of our product. So that that's part of the reasons why I do like to open source it. Second of all, I think that just kind of the nature of a lot of front-end technology is just kind of open in general. It's really difficult to hide front-end code behind intellectual property. Um, and also there's not a super good alignment of incentives there anyway. So if, if you can open source it, I, I think it's a good choice. <clears throat> and probably the third reason is that I found that when I started designing um, and developing APIs for open source consumption, it improved the overall quality of my code. So honestly, even when I'm developing something new inside of Nozzle that's kind of a, a fairly large piece, I will approach it as if it could someday be open source. Um, and that just helps with a lot of things. API design and documentation, um, you know, making sure it has great TypeScript support. If you approach problems with that mindset, it definitely changes the way that you structure even things that are internal or private. That's really fascinating. Um, it seems like there would be a few things that fall out of that. I mean, the, the very clear benefits, as you said, is like better documentation and you get like all these extra eyes on the code base. But you also have people who want functionality and features that your product doesn't necessarily have a need for. So how do you sort of balance like what are the internal needs for Nozzle mm -hmm. versus like what the community wants out of a particular solution? Um, I think the best answer I have to that is just inversion of control. If somebody is asking me for a feature that they can't implement themselves or wrap up into, you know, some abstraction or a plugin or whatever they want, I think that's a clear sign that the API needs some better points of inversion. So, um, you know, just maybe a couple of years ago, I had my React table library, but it was, um, it was a really... Uh, coupled to the DOM, coupled to the markup. And I saw that people were requesting a lot of features around markup and can we move things where we want and can we can we rip this out and put our own component in? And, and it was going to take a lot of time for me to add those features. And yes, I didn't need a lot of those things. Um, but I think that was an indicator that we just had some bad abstractions. And once we took the table library, React Table, and made it um, an, a headless library uh, where, you know, we're just going to supply the logic and the state management and, you know, the non-opinionated mark of things about it. Um, all of those issues and all of those requests kind of melted away. And we, we structured it so that it had a lot of inversion of control um, around the core features. So now you'll, you have people um, like... Kevin Vandy, who have uh, like built entire table components and table libraries around the core, use table hooks, um, and that's that's the power of like the right, you know, points of abstraction. So I don't have to worry about any of that stuff now. If somebody wants a feature, they can build it themselves, and if they suggest it, I'm like, oh, that'd be good for Nozzle too. We'll work on it together, you know. So I think it's just. And part of it is API design and part of it is just saying no. Like, hey, that's a great idea and uh, I will support you as much as I can by providing the right API options and abstractions and, and points where you can kind of hook into the library. But 
beyond that, if it doesn't align with nozzle, I don't want to have to just say, no, it's impossible. Mostly like, hey, no, I can't do that, but it's possible if you want to put in the work. So that's, that is the balance. And at least it has been for me and it's working out great so far. Awesome. Mentioned a uh, TypeScript a little bit in there, but if I remember correctly, when you started on your TypeScript journey, you weren't fully on board. I remember you having a lot of struggles at the beginning with trying to type your very dynamic, large JavaScript libraries. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey there? Because I think now you're you're fully on the TypeScript bandwagon and understand the benefits. Absolutely. So early on. Um... You know, the notion of types was a little jarring at first because I didn't come from a typed world. Um, but I I did become very familiar with Golang. Um, a lot of our backend is written in Golang and all of our backend devs are Go guys. And and um, it, uh, it became, you know, immediately apparent to me that types were extremely critical and crucial for scaling a business and scaling teams and, and processes and just having more confidence in your code. So I wasn't necessarily against the idea of types from the beginning, but I was just very scared to learn it because I knew that it was going to detach me from my momentum for a little while. So timing was a critical piece for me. And when you have libraries that are moving quickly and you're one of two people on a front end team and you're just kind of moving very quickly there, it's difficult to sell yourself on, okay, I'm, I'm going to just kind of halt everything I'm doing and start learning TypeScript. To make matters even more complicated, it wasn't that I was just halting work on like our application, like our SaaS product, because, you know, application on the spectrum of consuming application TypeScript and, and providing library level TypeScript, those are very different things. Um, I was going to have to do both. And I, I didn't necessarily want to do them separate. So when I learned TypeScript, I wasn't just consuming it in my, my SaaS product and, and using it kind of in a, in a very, uh, I guess, end user developer way. Um, but I had to learn it from a very uh, complex context as well in being able to um, write really great generics. I had, I had to learn all about generics and I had to learn about architecture uh, how to build libraries with TypeScript in mind. And I had to learn about how the compiler worked and how types flowed through a system. I had to learn the do's and don'ts of plugin development and and extending TypeScript types and extend like system extension in TypeScript. And some of it was just over my head because I just had no idea what was going on. So it took a little bit longer for me to kind of ramp up because I, I was, I jumped into the deep end on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was extremely helpful because now I feel like, you know, I, I'm not scared of generics at all. I'm not scared of building library code or writing generics. And uh, it doesn't mean I know everything. I, I actually, there's so many people out there that know so much more about like complex TypeScript. And I, you know, now I know who those people are and I can just say, hey, help me, help me write this, you know, I can understand it and, and uh, wrap my head around it eventually. But um, that's kind of where I ended up and it was, um, it was harder at first. So it, it literally took me probably six months to get anywhere even remotely useful with my libraries, especially React Table was the library that I started with. It was, it's a very complex library. It had lots of plugins and options and lots of types that permeated the entire system. So 
uh, it was difficult. But once I once I got it down, um, it, it only took me about another, you know, six months to be like, okay, I think I have a handle on this. Moving to other libraries and, and uh, React Query was actually the first one to get fully moved over with some help from the community. And to be honest, li React Query is not too complex of a TypeScript project. There's not a whole lot of types there. In fact, we mostly just manage about three to four, maybe five in some places, generics that kind of flow through the entire system. As opposed to something like table and router that, you know, are anywhere between like nine to 15, um, depending, depending on what, on where you are. So, um, yeah, it, it's been rewarding. Um, and I knew from, from day one that it was going to change the way that I thought about programming. It's going to change the kind of developer that I was. So it was mostly just finding the right time. And yes, I. I complained and I was in, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, everyone's asking about TypeScript and I don't want to build TypeScript right now for my library. Just leave me alone. <laughs> so I think everybody kind of does that um, to some point when, if you know, when you're, when you're seasoned in the ecosystem and, and you need to learn something new and you've got a lot of baggage, it can be hard to, to jump in. So my invitation to anybody listening is that it, the time to jump in has passed. You need you need to get on board. I still have friends who are swimming against the current, and, and I just don't understand why. Because the water is warm. Yeah, I I, th I think where you approach it matters a lot. Like mm. uh, if you approach it as an app developer, like TypeScript seems like like just trivial. Like it's like oh yeah, I'll add yeah. that to my project. But at Absolutely. the library level, it's a totally different game. And from what it sounds like, you didn't just jump into the deep end, you jumped into the very deep end because you weren't writing the libraries in TypeScript. You were trying to define uh, DTS files for your library, which in my mind is like an order of magnitude harder. Yeah, I decided that early on that like adding types to the library was not really helping me. Um, mm. it, it, was, it, it was very quickly that I just decided it's going to be a rewrite. And we, I just basically... Uh, nuked all the code. I, I mean, I kept the implementation code for a lot of it, but um, basically just had to nuke everything and, and start from scratch. Uh, it was difficult because, like you said, some of the, dyna the dynamic parts of JavaScript um, are just untyped. The way that we design APIs in old school JavaScript, that's just, th there's no meaningful way to, to keep and retain and convey that type information. So it requires you to rethink the way that you structure. And I think some people see that as a downside and they're like, oh, it's changing, it's changing the, the flexibility and the power that I have. Um, when in reality, it's probably being, it's just making you think in a safer way and it's making you structure your code a little bit better. Like in no way do I think it degrades any of the final output. If anything, it's 10 times better, right? It's just different. Yeah, totally. It's interesting. Well, first off, it's really fascinating to hear about your sort of compressed journey with this because from going to little experience with types to like having this like, you know, these pretty robust libraries being fully typed or whatever is is this whole massive effort. And you went through that really, really quickly. Uh, even the even the sort of like cognitive shift from like, oh, I don't really want to do this to like, OK, yeah, this is the way. Uh, is is sort of an interesting thing to hear about in a, sort of what I still consider a compressed timeline because I've 
uh, you know, I've heard stories that are like many years in transition of like really trying to, you know, come to acceptance with it. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's so true that there are things that you pick up on when you adopt TypeScript or, or like any type language. But one of the things is, is I think about being more explicit with your intent, you know, just like using it as a tool for communication because, you know, code is written for people as yeah. much as it is for computers. I think that's something that we don't value enough. Um, and then just going back to an earlier point too, I had also, when I started trying to do TypeScript stuff, I'd started trying to just like add uh, like DTS files, definition files to JavaScript projects. And it was so, so, so hard. Um, one of the things is I found that that was not the best documented workflow. Uh, TypeScript is generally, they, they, I mean, they have good documentation, but like that, the outer edges of type definition can be a lot more complex. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. In interesting. But that, that totally reflects my experience. I remember you triggered a memory of going back. One of the very first individuals to help me out with TypeScript was Brandon Beyer, creator of Blitz, Flight Control. And, um, you know, I remember being on a call with him and, and he's just kind of showing me the ropes, you know? And, and he was like, yeah, you know, let's, let's design this API that you have in your mind for, for this table library that you have. And <clears throat> we started talking and he was just writing types and declaring functions. He, did, he didn't write any JavaScript at any point in time. And I was like, how are you doing this? This is so strange, you know? <laughs> and, and then, you know, he'd go to like call the function and it was all just auto-completed and type safe. And I'm like, but there's no implementation there. And he was kind of the very first person to help me really understand that that TypeScript uh, meta-typing is its own language. And really, if you want to be productive and you want to feel powerful with TypeScript, because it's, it's really try writing a program without doing any implementation code, you know? Just declare types and functions and just see how far you can get. And I think that's really when you start to dive into what TypeScript really is, right? In fact, um, I need to I need to pull up my my Twitter because um, there's a project that I've been seeing lately uh, that got me really excited and let me let me just scroll through my timeline here for a second and see if I'm gonna find it but let's see it is a it's a meta typescript library that is being developed somebody that I know on Twitter I can find it Yes. So, um, his handle is Eckerb. Eckerby? I'm not sure. It's E C Y R B E D E V is his handle. He's tech lead and creator of Zodios, Zodios.org. Um, but he has been working on this new library called. Basically, he's created like a, like a programming, like. It's almost like Lodash. It's very much like TS Tool Belt, but for types. And you can just, you can pipe types through transformers and map things. Um, my goodness. If we have to, I will find it and put it in the show notes after. Because, <laughs> oh, hot script. There we go. So it's a, a library of composable functions for the type level. Transform your TypeScript types in any way you want using functions you already know. So like the first example here is where he's he's piping 
the integer seven through a bunch of like type transformers. He's got tuples range, tuple take, tuple map, match, tuples join. And you can just see if you go down to all of the different methods that they have implemented, we're talking things like uh, we've got tuple manipulation, which is basically arrays, um, object manipulation, um, there's unions and strings and numbers and booleans. So he, he created a JSON parser in TypeScript like that, that, that parses JSON in the type level TypeScript language. Um, and he created it in just a few lines of code, but it was really crazy. Um, I think that's something that, that people may not appreciate with TypeScript, especially if you're coming from a JavaScript world, TypeScript's your first type language. TypeScript actually has an incredibly, incredibly powerful type system. Um, yeah. And, you know, it really goes to show that like Anders knows his business. <laughs> like, uh, yep. it's, it's incredibly impressive. Oh, here's the link to that tweet where he shows a uh, JSON parsing in TypeScript type system in just 50 lines. So using HotScript, he creates a JSON parser <laughs> that will parse a string of whatever into like JSON type. It, it's wow. Anyways, yeah, we don't we don't need to go down that tangent any further, but <laughs> yeah, you know, that can be like the capstone of the TypeScript conversation. But it really is incredible what you can do with it. Yeah, it's it is crazy what you can do in the type system. The craziest thing I've done is I created a grid component for our design system that takes mm. a grid template as a string and then mm. breaks the template up into types yeah. and returns grid cells that can only use those as the area for their types. So it's so cool. it uses like joins and trims and like it's very yeah. hard to understand code while you're looking at it, but like the types are like, oh, it's just doing kind of like JavaScripty things. That's awesome. Right. Right. Yeah, it's there's, a lot of fun. There's another thing that I wanted to talk about before we move on and start talking about uh, particular uh, libraries. So one of the things that you've done recently is you've started making your libraries not React specific. Um, so making them where they're shareable across different front-end frameworks. Um, I thought that was a really interesting choice as well because, you know, like the migration, the learning path from like, you know, untyped to typed libraries going from like a targeting in a single framework to targeting at like, you know, generic usage is a really, really challenging thing to do well. So could you talk a little bit about like what motivated that? and maybe even you know share some of your experience about like what you've learned from that process yeah um that that transition that's still happening um felt really natural uh because of underlying technology uh innovations that were kind of happening so i think the first one for me was was hooks when hooks came out it kind of kicked my mind into reusable logic mode right and no longer was i thinking like oh everything needs to be a component we can just have hooks and that kind of started detaching my brain from the two and decoupling and i'm like oh you know what headless headless ui is, is where it's at and the first library i used was downshift from can't see dots that i was like oh yeah headless is super cool um so i was like listen headless at everything let's go all headless for everything right but still react um and then at that point, I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's reusable logic, you know? Um, 
like how much how much would it take to then decouple that logic from react utilities that i was using like react table even when it was just a hook used to be implemented with a bunch of react hooks under the hood you know it's like use state use memo everything's use memo and use callback everywhere and and i was just like this is this is weird. but i wonder what it would take to to move all that logic into an agnostic layer still hook it up the same way in like a react adapter so that's kind of what i did and um I think it was just kind of this move to headless that it was, it was like, oh, how headless can we go? I'll be honest, I don't, I don't have any applications. Um, maybe. No, I don't anymore. I don't have any applications right now that aren't React, like that I have like in production. Um, so I don't necessarily have an immediate use case to be like, oh, let's go framework agnostic and, and let's, let's, you know, I, I need that. But... It was easy enough after you after I went headless, it was kind of just a skip and a hop to to rip out all the React stuff and replace it with just kind of an adapter. And that that exposed some interesting patterns along the way. Um, you know, it it reveals to me more in more clarity the pros and cons of React, you know, the great things about it and the things that I'm like, eh, I don't really like that so much. And then it started getting me thinking about other other libraries and frameworks and and a lot of the challenges that came up that are still coming up in trying to make agnostic tools and the the different ways that every single framework thinks about reactivity. And I know that signals are a really hot topic right now, but they're very I think they're very important to talk about because most of the entire ecosystem outside of React thinks in terms of signals or observables and they have for a while if you go back before react is it was kind of all about signals and observability and kind of this mutative um, api for reactive system and react was kind of the very one of the first ones that was like you know what we're gonna throw reactivity out the window and basically just going to create this massive immutable system and and Immutability honestly wasn't all that popular, even in data, like even in front end, in data, like data flow, immutability wasn't super popular until the React ecosystem really pushed it into overdrive, um, including me. Like I, I grew up, you know, on React with this immutable paradigm. And so it was really interesting talking in the early days with Ryan Carniata. You know, he's showing me solid and he's showing me signals and, and you know all these different ways to approach reactivity and because i wanted to build solid adapters um for all my libraries and it just really it really showed me that react is honestly kind of weird in a great way like it, it's really easy to it's easy to reason about data and immutability when you're in that mode um but it comes with a lot of weird immutable overhead, like use memo and use callback. We're talking about compilers now. So most of my learnings through going agnostic have been shedding more and more light on just kind of these weird differences between these libraries. And I think at the surface level, everybody looks at Vue and React and Svelte, and they see, they used to see maybe differences, and it was like oh, template versus JSX, you know? Um, how do we do our markup and single, single file components? And a lot of that is becoming, you know, uh, it doesn't matter anymore. Like 
JSX is clearly superior. Let's be honest. But, um, but what really, what really is coming down to matter for me is just like the, the data flow and the data model and kind of the last big, like aha moment I've had with a lot of this is, um, you know, I was looking at my spreadsheets for like my budget and spreadsheets for things at work, you know, and, and I'm looking at Excel and I'm just like, what a fantastic performant system. You know, Excel's amazing. Basically built on signals, observability, right? And you can create crazy UIs in Excel. Uh, and it just got me thinking, you know, maybe it's time to go back to signals. And now all the talk about signals and everything. So, um, that, that's kind of been where my head had been with moving agnostic with all this stuff. It was very natural to kind of, to push the boundaries. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm pushing a little, maybe a little too hard on some of the, the agnostic stuff. And I've, I've actually had to rebound a little bit and that's mostly in the router that I'm building. If we want to talk about specific use cases, um, all of the other tools I have query table, the virtualizer. A lot of these tools, they fit really well into the agnostic, uh, like the agnostic ecosystem. Um, but the router is not one of those things. Like early on, early on, I was like, even in my hype video that's on my Twitter right now that I showed at Jamstack.conf, it was like agnostic router. And it's like, could we build the agnostic router? It's like, yes, I did it. And you can build adapters for it. But you wouldn't leave the hoops that we were jumping through to get um, a core router state management system to work with both React and Solid. It was, working with Ryan Carniato on this, it was like, either, either way, you're gonna pay. If you, if you build your core state management in an immutable fashion, you have to pay in performance to get it to work in, in a, an immutable system like solid. And then I was like, what if we just wrote the state management for all of our libraries in signals and solid and stuff like that, like just signals. And then we, we downsampled it to immutability for react and you pay big time going that direction too. There's just so much at odds with each other. And then, uh, you know, over the last few weeks, I've been on vacation for two weeks, to be honest. And, and I got back and one of the big realizations I had is that every single framework has its own router that's relatively first class for that framework, except for React. For whatever reason, I mean, we know the reasons React was like, we're just a UI library. We're very unopinionated, you know, yeah. at least that's how it was. <laughs> yeah. we, we could talk about the differences today, but, but like, you know, React was one of the first ecosystems where it's like, you know, there's a, like that it's even really possible to build a great, like a bunch of different great routers. And there are so many of them out there. Obviously, React Router is the most popular, but there's like Wouter and Next.js has their own weird router now. So thinking about it from that perspective, Router is the only library where I've kind of like dialed it back. And I'm like, okay, not everything needs to be agnostic. Router is framework, kind of. So I've dialed it back to, to make Tanstack Router React only. And honestly, the hope is that I can take the ideas and the core out of that and transport that to other core routers like the solid router like i'd love to help ryan you know rewrite the solid router to to be completely type safe and have all this great stuff so sorry that was really long-winded but 
So moving on to like what you're currently working on, you've been working, you mentioned earlier that you're working on a new router for React. Uh, so why another router? Uh, how is it different and what is it doing differently? Great question. Um, so yes, it's a new router. I honestly didn't want to have to build it in the beginning. <laughs> um, at Nozzle, we, we have a lot of dashboards and these dashboards are showing a lot of data widgets their data exploration dashboards and essentially every dashboard is like a function that just has a lot of widgets on the screen and each one of those widgets has its own parameters and its own state all of that needed to be stored in the url like every bit of it and we, we looked into ways of, of taking the state and hashing it and putting it on the server and sharing links with you know, with IDs and, and it's just a terrible experience to do it that way. It's so much better to leverage what's already there in the URL. Um, so in the beginning, I just wanted to design this entire dashboarding experience so that all of the widget state and everything lived in the URL itself. Um, and essentially that meant taking this, this big JSON structure that represented the state of each dashboard and finding ways to reliably serialize it into the URL and bring it back out. And it wasn't that difficult to get my hands dirty in the beginning. Um, I was using React Router v5, search params, you know, um, and just kind of doing it in a really hacky way, right? Uh, and then I was like, oh, might as well try React Router v6 beta. So I, I was actually using the beta in Nozzle for a while. Uh, for you know, it was in beta for a long time. Um, but then some some problems quickly arose with with that. The first one that was very apparent, even from V5, was that when I started moving everything over the TypeScript, a lot of my libraries were moving over, uh, you know, things were getting better. But one thing that was kind of like lagging behind and stuck in the stone ages was the routing logic. Um, and at first I was like, ah, routing, like it's not that bad. You don't need to be super type safe. Then I, I was like, oh crap, all of my search parameters are coming out of the router. And that's driving a majority of my state now. And in fact, the more and more that I got into using the URL for, for state, which I think is really, a really great pattern and we should be doing it more. Um, so much of my state was moving from use state into the URL. And honestly, if you think about TypeScript and types and state, like that's where all of your state comes out of usually is just like use state. Moving it into the URL is basically moving it into this new black box that I lost all my types and I and, and essentially had to start like, you know, typecasting everything. Um, and that just, it's terrible because it doesn't track through the entire system um, and it's just hacky. Um, and, and it kind of opened up, I started opening up this black box of like type safe URLs and type safe routing. And I started learning a lot. Um, I, I started learning that like, you know, the URL as a serialization destination uh, acts a lot like some like an external asynchronous resource uh, as you would with any other external state when you fetch it and you get it back you you kind of have to validate it because it's just coming from a json string so similar to how people are like writing zod schemas for you know their their crud their their crud fetches and fetch and and um graphql schemas and whatnot the url has that same exhibits those same features where you need, you know, you're essentially allowing users to input whatever the heck they want into this box on the screen. And you need to reliably parse it, validate it, set defaults, and at the same time, type it 
so that you, you have a consistent and reliable interface coming out of it. That entire pipeline was just, it, it's not that it wasn't, um, it wasn't built in, but it was even difficult to do in user land with React Router v6. I, I basically had wrapped every function, every export, everything that I could get out of React Router v6, I had wrapped and proxied until the point where I was just like, I've basically rewritten my own router just through this proxy layer. That's how React Location was born, which was my toy router. It wasn't type safe, but uh, it was me kind of just getting a grasp on how to build a router. And finally, this new router is where I've, I've tried to rewrite the routing experience from the ground up with types involved. And so that means that uh, everything from route definitions, uh, even the nested definition stuff is all type safe and the resulting types or the resulting routing structure that you get, it has, it's fully typed. And then all of the APIs for consuming that routing structure um, need to be fully typed as well. Lots of different challenges in each of those different layers. And we can talk about those if you want. I think they're all interesting. Um, but yeah, types were the biggest driver for this. Obviously, it wasn't too difficult and, and very obvious for me to, it was obvious for me to layer in things like data loaders and um, actions and and layer in, you know, nested routing is kind of just the new standard. So it was easy for me to take some of the best parts of React Router and Next and, and Router and, um, and just kind of put it all together and, and build the system that I wanted. And it's got support for Zod schemas and it's, it's a lot of fun and it's a joy to use. So, uh, some of the features right out of the gate that I can tell you, like all of the, all of the paths are type safe. So, you, you know, it's almost, it's basically impossible to write, uh, you know, write a link that isn't type safe. So if a page doesn't exist or a route doesn't exist, you'll get, you'll get red squiggles for it. Uh, if it requires search params, you have to supply them. They have to be the right type. Um, if you if you're writing links that are relative, like it knows about relative link navigation and where you are, um, it knows all the types know about your nested nature of your routes. So if you're in a deep deep component, uh, you're not just getting routes or type type information for the route you're in, but the parent, the the entire routing structure is actually reduced as you go down the usage APIs. So you're you know down here at at the you know level C. You've got type information for A going into B and going into C and kind of getting intelligently merged together so that you know of all of the search params and all of the loaders and all of the things that you have in that. Um, and even in the definition files or the the, def, the, net, the definitions themselves, um, you know, you can define search parameters in a top level route and then have nested routes. And at the in the definition itself, it will know about the types that you have created in parent routes um, while you're in your definition, which is is easier said than done. Um, so yeah. it, it's and it's required some some interesting API design and engine to to get around this kind of stuff. But um, at the end of the day, it's what I needed, and so I'm I'm actually still hooking it up into Nozzle. But what it means is that all these widgets and all these crazy things that I have on all these different dashboards, when you, when you hover over a link, I know of a surety 
that it's going to a place that exists with search parameters that are exactly what they need to be and that the that the url that's produced is going to be exactly what the user wants to see and they can share it and collaborate with it with teammates and um i mean just day one of popping in a nozzle i found like just tons of bugs you know just trying to pass search params that don't exist and passing numbers where they should be strings so yeah must must be a good feeling finding those bugs <laughs> good and sad you know you're, oh man tanner you are an idiot why did you do that you know but i mean i don't blame myself too much and i didn't have typescript so sure, it's sure. a it's yeah, a lot yeah. of fun yeah it's fun um so so all of that type safety comes pretty easily from like the user standpoint i saw in the docs you kind of do this like one cool trick to make the types available i think what you do is like you you declare your router and then right below it you do like a typescript declare and then declare an import and that like kind of just makes everything work right yeah because without that you would have to provide an an api layer that consumes the router um everywhere that you use it uh which is still possible if you for some reason can't do it the way that we want um so instead of doing that you're right so we uh we use something it's kind of an interesting hack in typescript not really a hack but it's just an interesting pattern um it uses declaration merging but what we do is we export an empty interface called a register and we export that interface actually we're doing it across almost all of the libraries now there's just a register interface and what you can do is you can declare that interface and then under specific keys for different libraries, like so in router, it's uh, the router key. So you declare the router key and then you pass type of your router. And what that does is it registers, uh, because interfaces are mutable, it registers the type of your router into uh, the inner type space of like the entire module. And what that means is that now when you go to consume uh, exports right out of the library, like use route or link or something like that. Um, we can actually just reference uh, a special type inside of the library called registered router. And registered router is a um, it's a conditional type that says, hey, if you know if registered dot router extends a router, use that. And if it doesn't then just use kind of the default router type. Um, and that way you can provide type safety to the rest, like uh, to all of your top level exports uh, without ever having to necessarily import your router everywhere you go. It's pretty yeah. great. Yeah, super cool pattern. We're actually using it in React Query now um, in, the new, in the next version. So you're gonna be able to, uh, you can actually set the default error type so that if across your entire system you know that you're only, you know, you want Axios errors or something. You can actually register the error type and, and pass Axios error. And that will set the default generic across the entire library uh, to be that. So there's a lot of cool use cases for it, for setting type defaults without having to, uh, without having, being forced to use APIs that rely on, on scripted composition, you know, to, to get that kind of default. That's awesome. You got some stuff that you're you're working on in the future. Uh, you've you've had this tan stack brewing, and it's brought together all these like disparate technologies. And we've heard chat about some other future projects that you have. 
Um, so there's this thing called Bling uh, and some sort of other stuff in this space. Could you could you sort of talk about what some of your future plans are here and what you're currently working on? Absolutely. So my future plans can be summed up uh, by collaboration. <laughs> so essentially, I, I, I'm uh, always just kind of looking for just the fastest way to get something done. Um, and... Uh, moving up into the upper spaces of tooling, you know, getting into routing. Routing is a significant portion of what we would consider frameworks. Um, and after that, a lot of what it constitutes a framework really comes down to, you know, usually there's some level of like opinionated routing structure for file systems. Um, and then there's opinions around deployment. Uh, and then there's also opinions around um, kind of like co-location of code and a server code and full stack kind of things, right? And so uh, after exploring what that would look like for something like Tanstack Router, uh, I came to the conclusion that, you know, a lot, a, lot of these, a lot of these concepts about frameworks are not really that unique. The routing experience and, and the framework that it's built on are super unique, but meta frameworks overall, they share a lot of the same tools, a lot of the same goals. And um, naturally, uh, you know, there's a lot of prior art in React. You know, you've got Nix, you've got Remix, you've got Gatsby. A long, long time ago, I even built React Static, which was a static site generator framework um, that I had to let go back <laughs> in the day. But um, I didn't want to, I didn't necessarily want to recreate anything here in this space, but I wanted the ability to um, to have a full stack framework that I'd also be able to use my router in. Um, because if I if I move to next, I, I lose my router. Uh, and I know they're working on type safe routes. Um, good for them. Uh, it's still, you know, not exactly where I'd like it to be. Maybe they'll get there eventually. Um, but then I also didn't want to have to be forced into the, most of the next ecosystem as well. If I move over to Remix, it's the same story. I, I have to drop my router. Everything seems to be based around the router, right? And I, I have strict ties to my router now. I I demand the type safety I want out of my router. Um, and I demand the APIs that I have to build these scalable solutions that are really search param heavy. And nobody else really seems to be taking that seriously. And that's fine. It's mostly a, you know, it's not a massive use case for a lot of other people. Um, but like if you were to go to AWS or Google Cloud Console, um, look at that URL. Clearly, they have built their own URL because of how much state they're storing in the URL. All right, they've built their own router. So I wanted to get into this space, but I wanted to be able to use my own router, but I didn't want to build the rest of anything else. So I talked about I talked about this to Ryan Carniato. We talk a lot, if you didn't if you <laughs> didn't gather that. And he was like, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, in, in solid, we we just kind of have our router, but then we have um, you know, we, we have these transforms that happen at bundle time. And so he started looking, he started showing me, you know, the, the server dollar sign approach they have for a lot of stuff. And he's like, it's kind of like quick, but it, it's not exactly like, like quick is, is very proprietary and, um, and you know, they're based on resumability. He's like, this is mostly just about code extraction. And I was like, this is really interesting. How could I use this for my framework? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. And that kind of started the conversation between me and him and Nikhil Saraf, uh, who is heading up a lot of like the work 
under Bling. Like he, he's a lot of the brains behind it, to be honest. Nikhil is awesome. And uh, he started abstracting out a lot of the logic from Solid um, that allows it to do kind of this full stack story um, using these code, this, this code extraction. And recently Ryan was on with uh, the Quick Team talking about code extraction, and it was really great. We'll have to find the link to that and pop it in here. But that's kind of how Bling was born. I imagined kind of this world where, you know, um, it didn't matter what framework you were using. Uh, all that mattered was, you know, you met a couple of dependencies like Vite or, or Babel, or maybe we'd even support uh, SWC, right? But at the end of the day, you could do these code transforms and the bundler would kind of separate your stuff. And what happened was after we solved that piece, just kind of a proof of concept, the only piece that was left over was the deployment story. Again, something that I don't want to build. I look at all the work that went into Next and their deployment story and Remix and all the adapters that they maintained, and I just didn't want to have to deal with any of that. Well, another good friend from Astro is like, we talked with Fred a whole lot at Astro. And it's like, look at Astro. It's exactly what I wanted, right? And me and Ryan were looking at it like, dude, Astro, they don't even, they don't even know what they're sitting on. It's this gold mine, right? Where they've built all the adapters. They, they've built all the infrastructure and they, they literally are very agnostic about the front end. So we, we decided let's build new framework. Like let's build a new framework, Tansec start and let's upgrade solid start eventually. Right. To say, we're going to, we're going to build everything on top of Astro and just get deployments and, and get compiler and get all of that for free. Astro's built on top of Vite. So all we have to do is supply Vite uh, functionality for bling and then we can wrap all that up into an astro plugin and then and then you can just use whatever router you want and there's your framework right you've got a router you've got code extraction and you've got deployment and at the end of the day those are a lot of those are most of the core pieces you need to have what people think of as a framework and so tansac start itself isn't even really a library yet. There's nothing. I mean, there there is a little bit there. It houses the plugin for Astro that you import. And then there's a couple of components for doing React things like, you know, uh, serializing all the hydration data and unserializing it and, and hooking it up to Tanstack router. But aside from that, that and most of the logic just sits inside of router and inside of Bling and then all the great stuff that Astro has, has given us. So uh, it's still a work in progress, but that that's kind of the vision that I have for it. And, you know, we're also very keen on kind of the, the ecosystem moving towards like React server components. And I personally don't think that server components should necessarily be branded or owned by a specific framework. They're, they're more of just a concept overall. Um, you know, and we see the use server and the use client, and that's just one way to do it, right? But server components, um, they're, they're bigger than that. They, they're like Astro technically had server components a long time ago. Um, but I think that everybody's converging on these patterns. Um, and instead of chasing after, uh, you know, these patterns that will only work in React and probably only work in Next for a while, um, I'm way more interested in, in pursuing agnostic framework agnostic solutions to the same thing you know 
I think that I think that with a little bit of work and, and some collaboration, we could achieve, um, you know, server components for all with with code extraction. Uh, you know that that kind of fits the majority use case. Maybe not the whole resumability. Uh, you know, really, really granular stuff like like quick. It fit, fits a good use case for everybody. So that's kind of that's where we want to take it. And and to be honest, we'd probably be a little bit further, but I've been on vacation for two weeks, <laughs> and I'm kind of heads down at Nozzle right now on, on some on some sprints. But it's it's coming. The day is coming where I think uh, we're going to have some good progress. In fact, I have a call scheduled tonight with Ryan and Nikhil where we're going to discuss a lot of fun things. So that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. Uh, once it gets a little further along, we might have to have Nikhil on to dive deeper into those topics. Oh yeah. The code extraction is really fun. I mean, you get into Babel and AST transformations, and it, it, it's a lot of fun. So, Want to hear a full conversation with Tanner? Subscribe to us on Patreon, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Okay, uh, that wraps it up for tooltips this week. Uh, thanks coming up for coming on, Tanner. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, the the conversation we had about how like we started with your like beginnings in TypeScript and how like that's fed into what you're working on now with Tanstack Router, I thought was super interesting, and I'm super excited to see where you guys go with it. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> Tanner, such a pleasure. Uh, use your stuff every day. You've done great work. You continue to do great work. Uh, yeah, just wish you thanks. the best. You know, and I also need to shout out before we close out. TK Dodo and uh, Kevin Vandy and Pysik. I mean, these guys, they maintain, uh, they, they help me maintain uh, or just flat out maintain a lot of it, uh, of those libraries that, uh, that I don't, I don't necessarily have time to just be everywhere all at once. Um, they are honestly what's keeping these libraries up and afloat and making them better. Um, and just kind of all the sponsorships that we have on Tanstack is what makes that possible. So uh, they deserve as much or maybe more credit for a lot of this stuff than I do. So we've got to make sure that they that they get their that they get their dues. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, love the sentiment. <laughs>